skyline and church. What do those three things have in common? Well, there are things that I've changed my mind on in the past few years. Skyline, that's right. The Northern Kentucky Cincinnati culture has finally won me over. I like, even sometimes crave skyline chili. I remember though, shortly after joining the staff here at Plum Creek, when I was still a full-time student up at CCU, Tony had brought some teens up to the Bible college for some event of some kind, I can't remember exactly what for, but everyone wanted to go to Skyline for lunch. Well, at the time, I wasn't a fan. So I ordered the Greek chicken wrap. And actually, let me just say this as a side note, about 75% of the time, if I go to Skyline, that's what I still order. But you know how the story goes, if you're an outsider. There's all this pressure to eat and enjoy Skyline chili. Well, I wouldn't try it because I didn't like the smell or the look of it. And the reason, part of the reason I wouldn't try it is because, and I still stand by this, even though I've changed my mind on the taste, is because you guys call it chili. It's not really chili. I hate to tell you, it's more of a topping or a hot dog sauce. Chili has beans and tomatoes in it. But nevertheless, for the longest time, I did not like Skyline Chili. I wouldn't even taste it. Until last fall, when I was subbing at an elementary school here in Campbell County, and one of the teachers had Skyline for lunch. She was heating it up, and there was just something about the smell that made me crave it. Most of it probably had to do with the fact that I only had a peanut butter, and, a peanut butter sandwich and apple for lunch, so I was a bit hungry. But in that moment, my mind was changed. And that night, Cassie and I had Skyline for dinner and I had a Cholito. And now we even buy canned Skyline chili and probably have it for dinner at least once a month. So I changed my mind on Skyline. Another thing I've changed my mind on is money. Specifically, how we handle our personal finances. About six months into our marriage, Cassie and I decided that we were going to get serious about debt and make every effort to pay it off and pay off our debt in five years. This included a credit card loan, a few hospital bills, a car loan, and lots of student loans. And because of this conviction, we work extra jobs. We pinch pennies, we hardly spend, and every week it's a competition to see how cheap we can make the grocery bill. It was definitely a change in mind and a change in heart for me. And it started with us not being content with our current financial situation. Yes, it means for long, tiring weeks. Yes, it means that we're holding off on buying our first home, but we believe to set ourselves up for financial success in the future and also to be able to be sacrificially generous, we must be diligent now. And the thing that probably changed my mind the most was this proverb from the Old Testament. Proverbs 22.7. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Over and over, in the first six months of our marriage, and even now, we learn this to be true. And we are determined not to be a slave to anyone or anything except Christ. We want to be open and willing to go wherever God calls and to do and give however the kingdom might need in order to move forward with the gospel. And our finances, we don't want them to hold us back. We do not want to be a slave to our debt. And so I changed my mind on money. But the thing I've changed my mind on most recently is church. 
even within the last few months. Now, I've always known and I've always been taught that church is not a building. It's not even about the building. The church is people who are following Christ and living out their faith every day of the week. That's not really what I changed my mind on. What I changed my mind on is what that practically meant for me and how I approached my work week. See, when the pandemic came and we were no longer meeting on site on Sunday mornings, it required me to ask a pretty hard question. And that was, what do I do now? And as a result, I soon changed my mind about how I needed to spend my time during the work week. Sundays, I should say, are an important part of our faith and what it means to follow Jesus. But Sunday is just one day of the week. I became convicted that I needed to spend just as much time, if not more time, helping kids and families live out their faith during the week instead of spending all of my energy in what happened on a Sunday morning. I changed my mind about church. I changed my mind about money. And yes, I even changed my mind about Skyline. But now I want to ask you, when's the last time you changed your mind about something? What caused you to change your mind? How did it affect your everyday living? And the reason I ask this is because changing our minds is a very biblical concept. There's even a Bible word for it. It's the word repentance. And repentance means a change in your mind that results in a change of heart and therefore a change in your actions. The book of Acts, which we've been studying for the last couple weeks, is full of stories of repentance. But the changing of minds and hearts and lives is always centered around Jesus. They change as a result of what Jesus said, did, or taught. One example is with the apostles, specifically with Peter. Peter's entire life changed. He became much bolder and more confident in his faith and in sharing the gospel with others. I'll just give you one account of this, and we don't need to go very far back in the book of Acts, Acts in chapter 3. You may remember in Acts 3 that Peter and John healed a man who had been lame from birth. Well, the whole thing as it rolls out led to Peter and John end up being arrested and put in prison. And then in chapter 4, they were put on trial. And I want you to notice something. It's very small and subtle, but it's profound. So let me read for you what it says. Acts chapter 4, verse 5. The next day, the rulers and elders and teachers of law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. And so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priestly family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name do you do this? And Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people. So Peter and John are brought before the high priest, and they're bold about their faith. They cannot stop talking and telling others about Jesus. They explain the power that they were able to heal this man by. But here's what I want you to catch. I bolded it for you. It's the beginning of verse 6. I want you to notice who was here in the scene. It was Annas the high priest and Caiaphas. Now, why are those names so important? And what does this have to do with Peter changing his mind? Well, those two men are the exact same men who we see in John chapter 18. 
And in John 18 is when Peter denied being a follower of Jesus. Check it out, John 18, 12. Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus because this disciple was known to the high priest. He went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. And he replied, I am not. Do you see what has happened here? Peter, over in the book of Acts, is standing in the same courtyard he was standing in roughly three or four months ago when he denied Jesus. But this time, instead of denying Jesus to a small servant girl, he boldly proclaims, and we're told this in Acts 4 verse 11, that Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. He says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So what changed? Well, Peter changed. He changed in his boldness, which had to be a result in a change of his convictions of some kind, right? But what caused Peter to change? Well, most people agree it had to do with the resurrection of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. The only thing that we know of that was different between John chapter 18 and Acts 4 is that Jesus had actually come back from the dead and Peter was an eyewitness to that. Also, we're told that Peter had received the Holy Spirit as a power source to help him be a witness of the resurrection. See, the book of Acts is full of people who are changed, minds and hearts that are changed, and lives that are changed. It's full of stories of repentance. But the change is not arbitrary change or change without cause. Over and over, the change in heart or the change in mind is centered on Jesus. And as followers of Christ, when we change our mind, and notice I said when and not if, because the reality is, if we're fully devoted to following Jesus, we are going to change our mind because we haven't arrived yet. We still have some work to do. But when we, as followers of Christ, change our mind, when we repent, it must be centered on changing it to see reality the way Jesus sees reality. And you're going to see that in our story today. We're going to look at the story of a man by the name of Saul. Saul is better known for his name of Paul, something that changes after his conversion experience. But Saul was a persecutor of the church. He was also a Jew. Actually, matter of fact, he was a very dedicated Jew. We're told that he was a Pharisee, and that meant that he would have known the law of God in the Old Testament backward and forward. He was the prized pupil of the great teacher Gamaliel. He was a Roman citizen and therefore fluent in Greek language and culture. He was, for all intents and purposes, a dedicated and zealous Jew. Furthermore, he was not a fan of the church and of followers of Jesus. Matter of fact, the first time we read about Saul is in Acts 8.1, one 
Right after we're told of the stoning of Stephen, you may remember Doug talking about that story. Stephen was the first martyr of the Christian faith. And it says this, Acts 8.1, Saul approved of their killing him. Saul had great contempt for followers of Jesus. He became the chief persecutor of the early church. He sought after with vicious rage to invade homes and synagogues and imprison, scourge anyone who professed the name of Jesus. And his reputation, it preceded him. And this story of being changed of Jesus that we're going to look at today all started with a trip that he was taking to arrest and imprison more followers of Jesus. The irony of this story is incredible. We're told this in Acts chapter 9. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as Saul is headed down toward Damascus, this bright, brilliant light enveloped him, causing him to be blinded and to fall to the ground. And from within the light, he hears a voice. And this is what the voice says to him. We can read it in verse 4. It says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. It was the voice of none other than Jesus. Jesus comes and interrupts Paul's trip and his life. And you can imagine, if you could imagine this Damascus Road experience for a minute, just imagine what Paul was thinking in his mind. Was he wondering if the resurrection of Jesus could be real after all? Could he really be on the wrong side of divine justice? See, this moment and experience would stop Saul in his tracks, turn his mission on its head, and radically transform his worldview. But the story is not over yet. Because as Jesus was beginning to change the heart and mind of Saul, he was also changing the heart and mind of one of his followers, Ananias. The story goes on in Acts chapter 9, verse 10 to say, In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now, remember, Saul had come to Damascus to arrest and imprison Christians. His reputation was well known among followers of Jesus. And Jesus calls on Ananias and says, go to that man. And Ananias responds with, wait, do you know what you're asking me to do here, Jesus? 
You're asking me basically to go ahead and put cuffs on my own hands and turn myself into the man who persecutes people like me. Um, I don't think this is a good idea. But Jesus says, go. See, Ananias' mind and his heart had to be changed. Changed in how he saw people and changed in what it meant to follow Jesus. Changed in how he saw people because he had to realize that Jesus really can change someone's heart and life. And that means that no matter what they've done in the past, they have a chance and an opportunity to live for him, to really be changed. But also changed in what it means to follow Jesus. Because following Jesus means making bold moves in faith to follow and do whatever he calls you to. And so the story tells us that Saul was blinded and he had to be led into Jerusalem by his companions. We are told he refused to eat or drink this whole time. And he was taken into the home of a man named Judas who lived on Straight Street. And Ananias was told to go and meet Saul there in Judas's home. And that's exactly what he did. And so we're going to pick up our story in verse 17. It says this, Then when Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. And it's here and now that Saul is changed and truly converted. See, leading up to this point, Saul hadn't been truly converted and changed yet. He just had an experience that shook him to his core. It still took a follower of Jesus to faithfully proclaim the name of Jesus and to teach him. And it wasn't until Ananias comes along and shares with him and teaches him and helps him make sense of his vision and blindness that Saul is truly converted and becomes a follower of Jesus. And when Ananias heals him, this is when Saul takes a bold step in giving his life to Jesus. It says this in verse 18, he got up and was baptized. And after his baptism, he decides to eat again, and as a result, he regained his physical strength. But I want you to notice something here. What happened to Saul physically, both in regaining his physical sight and his physical strength, coincides with what happened in him spiritually. Because now, Saul was transferred from darkness to light, from weakness to strength, from persecutor to preacher. See, Jesus alone has the power to change the way we see reality. Although Paul was blind physically, he was also blind spiritually. And it took Jesus coming and interrupting his life to really help him see, to see things the way Jesus sees them, to see reality through the lens that Jesus gives. And this whole chapter illustrates that truth over and over. It's true. Because when, when Jesus shows up and when Saul is taught the truth of Jesus, his life is changed. And how he sees life and makes sense of the world is now through the lens and truth of Jesus. Saul is changed. Ananias is another example. Jesus changed the way that Ananias saw Saul. I know that's a bit of a tongue twister with those homophones there, but Ananias was able to go into the home and put himself in potential danger because he believed 
And he knew in the power of Jesus and how Jesus can change people's lives. Jesus alone has the power to change the way we see reality because he alone can soften and change hearts. And when we are dedicated to following him in his way of living, we can see the way Jesus sees them. Let me say that again. When we are dedicated to following Jesus, we can see things the way he sees them. We see the world the way he sees it. We see people the way he sees them. We see truth the way he sees it. We see sin the way he sees it. We see our marriage, finances, our work, our actions, our words, our friendships, every area of our life. And so I want to ask you, when is the last time you changed your mind? When's the last time you changed your heart on an issue? Has it been a while? And if it has, why is that? Is it because you don't need to change your mind or heart or actions on anything? You have it all figured out and your mind is made up? Or is it because you haven't come back to Jesus and to his word to change and conform you? Have you become calloused and stubborn and blinded to obvious sins in your life? And if you have changed your mind, has it been on things that really matter? And what did you change your mind on? Did you come back and look to the Word of God and allow it to be your guide for changing your mind? Or did you allow the world to change your mind? What influenced you? Saul, whose name was later changed to Paul, knew the importance of seeing reality the way Jesus sees it. And he taught us this truth in Romans chapter 12. It says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. This verse is telling us we need to change. We need to be transformed into the pattern of Jesus. And change is at the heart of repentance. And a repentant heart is the kind of heart that God desires a heart that seeks after Him. We're told this truth back in the Old Testament in 2 Chronicles. In verse 14 it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sins and I'll heal their land. 2 Chronicles 7.14 Do you hear the tender call in that verse? to change our ways, our thoughts, our actions, and turn them toward God. That's what God desires, a repentant and humble heart. You and I as followers of Christ have a lot of changing to do. We have sin in our life still. We have wrong attitudes, impure motives, and wicked thoughts. And there is only one man who has the power to change all of that, and that's Jesus, the God-man. He alone has the power to save. It is true, there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. He alone died on our behalf on the cross, and He alone rose victoriously three days later to show His power over sin and death. And when we give our lives to Him, and we surrender to Him in faith, confession, repentance, and baptism, we are declared not guilty of our sin. 
And then we're given the promised Holy Spirit to help us overcome the power that sin has in our life. God calls us to a life of repentance, constantly changing our mind to conform to His Word and to His way. Today, you may need to change how you see Jesus. You, like Saul, have been opposing Jesus. Maybe not quite to the same degree that Saul was, but you've been rejecting him and going about life your own way. Let me share with you this truth. Only Jesus has the power to change your heart and to change your life. But that starts with you surrendering your life to him. And if that's something that you need to do, I encourage you to reach, us, reach out to us here. You can leave a comment here on Facebook or in YouTube, and we will reach out to you. Or you can go online, plumcreek.org backslash connect and fill out that form and let us know that you're ready to make a decision. You can also call the church office. You can even email one of us on staff. My personal email is dylan, D-Y-L-A-N, at plumcreek.org. We would love the opportunity to share with you about Jesus and how he has the power to change the way you see things and how he can change your life. But maybe you already are a follower of Jesus. But there's been something in your life that you've allowed to linger for too long and your heart and your mind needs to be changed on the issue. Maybe that's a sin in your life. Maybe that's a relationship. Maybe it's with not holding that grudge against that person in your life. Maybe it's about your finances, your attitude, your social media presence, your words. What in your life needs to be changed? And hear this truth this morning. If we're going to change our mind, we have to keep coming back to this, the very words of God, and asking ourselves, where in our life does it not line up with this? And wherever that may be, we need to change. Because this, the Bible, it is truth. And it comes from the God who does not change, who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. It alone tells us how to be saved, it alone tells us the words of Jesus, who is the way to eternal life. It alone reveals the true nature of God. It alone reveals truth that transcends culture and time. It alone makes sense of this world and all the evil that's in it. It alone gives answers to life's biggest questions. We need to allow the Word of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to change us through and through. What have you been blinded to? What do you need to change to see like Jesus? Where in your life do you need to change? What do you need to repent of? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your son Jesus. We thank you for the hope that we have in him. We thank you for his death and his resurrection. We also thank you for your word, which is true. And God, we come before you now and confess our guilt before you. We are sinful and we don't deserve to be in your presence, but thanks be to you that you've sent your son Jesus to cover our guilt. God, we have a lot of changing to do in our life. And God, I pray that you would continue to fill us with your spirit over and over, that we would be changed and conformed to the knowledge and truth of you and your word. God, reveal to us how we need to change 
and help us to take actions to change. God, we thank you so much. And all this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. This week, the action step is pretty simple. We're asking you to get together with your three or four group and share how your life has been changed because of Jesus. And what that means is that you need to write out your conversion story. We're told of Saul's in Acts chapter 9, right? How God, how Jesus came and showed up in his life in a dramatic way. Well, maybe that's not your experience. You've had another experience, but write that out. Share that with your three or four group. And then also share with them some areas where you still need to change. If you don't have a three or four group, it's not too late to get into one. You can do that online at our Connect form. Or even if you're not in a group, we still want you to take this action step. Reach out to a close friend, maybe even it's just your spouse, and have this conversation. What has Jesus changed for me? Why am I a follower of Jesus? And what do I still need to change? And then take action, resolve to make those changes. Keep coming back to Jesus and to his word, lining your life up with the truth that's revealed in it.